You're listening to season six of Upside Down Podcast. This is Lindsay Wallace. I'm Kayla Craig. I'm Patty Taylor. And I'm Elisa Molina. Upside Down Podcast is an ecumenical conversation at the intersection of justice, spirituality, and culture. And we have created this space with you in mind. So join us for unscripted conversations on God's Upside Down Kingdom. Hi, and welcome as we continue season six of Upside Down Podcast. I'm Patricia, or Patty Taylor, and I'm hosting today's episode. Show notes can be found on Instagram at Upside Down Podcast and help new listeners find us. And for a super simple way to show your support, we tell you every time, (laughs) please subscribe, rate, share, and review our show. If you're able to help support us financially, we really mean it when we say any amount helps. Head over to patreon.com slash upside down podcast. It's really our supporters who quite literally keep our podcast going and we would not be here without them. So I am beyond excited <laughs> to be joined by co-host Kayla Craig, Lindsay Wallace, and we are welcoming the one, the only Cole Arthur Riley <laughs> to our show tonight. Hey, Cole, how are you? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm glad to be here. Thanks yes. for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being our guest here today. So before our conversation gets rolling and there is so much to discuss, I want to let the people know more about you. So Cole is a writer, liturgist. Can I just pause and say I'm in the presence of like two professional liturgists here? Like what? Like our very own like (laughs) Caitlin Craig and Cole Arthur Riley. And then didn't you all have like a collaboration? Like when you first started your Instagram? Early, early. Yes. I'm just in the presence of greatness. And Lindsay, we are great too, okay? Like we don't have to have that title. We are amazing. We're we're great. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) But uh, Cole is a writer, liturgist, and speaker seeking a contemplative life marked by embodiment and emotion. She is currently the spiritual teacher in residence with Cornell University's Office of Spirituality and Meaning Making and is the creator of Black Liturgies, a space for Black spiritual words of liberation, lament, rage, and rest. We are certain most of our listeners are familiar with that space. And if not, you ought to be. (laughs) And her her debut book, This Here Flesh, was just published like a few weeks ago. So congratulations. You have a book out in the world. (laughs) So to purchase a copy and to stay informed on all the brilliance that is Cole Arthur Riley, head to her website, which is ColeArthurRiley.com. On Instagram, you can find her by her name and at Black Liturgies on Facebook, Cole Arthur Riley, and Twitter at Black Liturgist. And we will also remind everyone again at the end. So did I leave anything out? Anything special that you want to share? Something about you that we might not know? Fill us I in, mean, that was, that was great. Um, I'll, I'll add something interesting, but not necessarily... Um, all that significant to the conversation we're going to have. Um, I, I live in upstate New York in a very old farmhouse built in 1840. Um, and but I'm born in was born and raised in Pittsburgh, so I'm a, a city girl at heart and miss it. And um, my favorite thing to do right now is to play chess poorly. <laughs> I love that. Lindsay and Kayla, do you all all play chess? Like, I honestly don't know how to, like, play for real. No, I don't know how you can be so talented with words and, like, logic. Like, to me... 
Ooh, uh, too hard. That's why I have to say Plage has poorly because you know <laughs> all of the chess geniuses will come for you, and I'm I am not one of them. <laughs> I you I am so beyond mediocre at chess, <laughs> but I'm obsessed. I love it. That sounds awesome. Hey, I am so happy that you found something that you're like, I like this. I'm into it. <laughs> and I love that it's something that you're not great at because a lot of times that can, you know, discourages people like, oh, I have to be the mm-hmm. best. Just have fun with stuff. So right. that's, I'm glad yeah. you shared that. <laughs> so Cole, this season, we are focusing all of our conversations around the topic of persistence. And we want to talk to you today about persistence and belonging. Who or what feels like belonging to you? I think the older I get, I say the older I get as if I'm very, an old, very old person. I'm 31, but um, I think the older I get, the more I find belonging back with my family, back in my home of origin. And I think a really... Um, an interesting thing happens in young adulthood, I feel like, where we all just, um, not all, but many of us become hypercritical of the places we're from, um, the people who formed us in our households. And, you know, we wander around and we take gap years and like, I never did any of these things, (laughs) but like, you know, the people who get to move to Colorado and find themselves and, um, you know, whatever, there's there's beauty and meaning in that too. I don't mean to be dismissive of that. But I think um, there's been something really special for me in this season of kind of experiencing homecoming as a kind of belonging and just rem- rem- remembering who I was as a child and, um, re- and finding a kind of rest in that. Um, so, so yeah, that's a, a long answer to say um, home. But I'm beginning more and more to find it in places where I feel free to question things, where I feel free to um, be fully creative and um, and liberated in my body and in my art. Um, the more I find places like that, the more belonging I find, I think. Well, let me just say we are here for the long answers. Like, take us away. <laughs> uh, that was that was really really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. I I have two d- questions from what you just shared. I'll start with the last piece you said, where you feel it in your body, where you feel like that creativity and and that you don't feel stifled. You can be you. Uh, I often think that sometimes. The, the idea or the word belonging may be misconstrued for other words like assimilation or conforming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how do you think, like as you talk about this feeling, this freedom, this creativity, how do you think that we can know and identify what true belonging looks and feels like and how do our bodies know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you have just pinpointed something so important. I, th- I, I think... Um, especially in in Christian spaces and spiritual spaces, it can be um, really difficult to ex- to experience a kind of belonging that doesn't ask you to like leave part of yourself, especially as as black women, leave part of your body behind, leave part of your um, 
yeah, your selfhood behind in order to belong. So not all belonging is beautiful. Not all belonging is is good by any stretch of the imagination. If it yield, if it if it's just yielding assimilation, um, for me, I think the times I spend in solitude have been so essential to kind of journeying into my interior world and really becoming honest about the things I think, the things I believe. Um, my needs and my fears <laughs> and how all that is operating so that when I'm confronted and, and, and I'll add a follow-up after this so that when I'm confronted in like a room full of people and I feel that very human urge to <laughs> belong and even assimilate um, I have all of these parts of myself that I can immediately recall because I've spent time with them in solitude, because I've familiarized myself with them in solitude. Um, And I think, you know, when young people especially are um, not given the space to rest and really spend time on their own, um, it can be really easy in in those moments where you're desiring belonging to just choose the answer that will make you feel immediately embraced. Um, and I've had to really contend contend with that cost ultimately of that embrace, the thing that I, wa- I thought I wanted so desperately. Um, the, the form of embrace I thought I wanted so desperately actually came at a great cost to my body and, and my selfhood in the end. I'm curious um, how you would answer this question though, Patty, having said that you have experienced some of this, the, the tension yourself. Yeah, I was going to say, please uh, enlighten me with your wisdom, because (laughs) I just turned 40. And I feel like that is something I'm just getting to the point of. But it it really is that. um, What is it that I really want and need? What is it that I really believe? Like, those are questions that it's not that I was afraid to ask myself. But I think that I, I was always so aware of if I really ask myself those questions and if I answer them honestly, I wasn't in a space that would receive me. So mm-hmm. I, rather than going there, I would kind of just put pump the brakes on it and be okay with doing whatever chameleon type routine I needed to. Yes. So I, I would, you know, do, as you said, like have that, have that feeling that I know I wanted, even if I knew it wasn't true, it wasn't genuine. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think that it's, I mean, it's never real, you know, it's never real. And at some point that, that ends and it's really scary and it's really painful in a lot of ways, but then that is when the freedom starts to actually become real Mm -hmm. because you're like, oh, I didn't realize how much of me I was subduing, you know, so much of me Mm -hmm. I was keeping hidden and, and so much of me that I actually wasn't like letting shine as brightly as it could because of all these other factors that that I knew would would not be receptive of me. So mm-hmm. I think that I, I don't know that I consciously uh, felt it in my body until after I was out of that space and realized, whoa, like this is, I can breathe. I can be me. I can, there is better out there. There are spaces that are welcoming. There are spaces that aren't going to say, yeah, like you're cool in this box, but when you go outside that, then, eh, you know, that's uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's uh, something I think about a lot because belonging is what we all, is what we all want, 
You know, there, there are certain things I think uh, we can tr- say are just universal truths and that connection, that belonging, I do think is one of them for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Kayla? Oh, my goodness. You know, honestly, I'm just like <laughs> want there to be space for, for both of you to share because there is a lens of privilege that I have in my body as a white woman. No matter where I show up, I can I don't have to have some of that. And I've had, you know, experiences where I don't feel like I can be fully myself or I don't belong. Um, but, you know, I think just to name that there is a layer that I cannot understand. And that's why it's so important um, to be able to like take a step back and not be like, as soon as I enter a room centering myself and my own experience and assuming, and as white women, we do a lot of assuming that other people are experiencing what's happening in the place or the space the same way, Mm. um, especially in church settings. So, um, I'm just so, so grateful for the conversation and for the vulnerability here. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for naming that because I do think, I wonder if we can call it, like you said, all belonging isn't good. So what, what is it, what does it really mean if some people feel that sense of belonging, but the consequences others are being pushed out or pushed away? or only mm-hmm. accepted partially for who they are. And so I, I'm just really happy you named that at the beginning, Cole, because all belonging is not good belonging. It's not being whole. It's not being fully the person that God created us to be. And and that is one thing that you have spoken about so pointedly. And that is the belief that we don't have to stay in a place where our fullness is not welcome. Mm-hmm. And, and that this place essentially is not where we belong Can you speak more into this idea and and what you believe we lose if we stay in a place too long? Hmm. I mean, oh, so much. I think um, we lose our our voices. We lose our ability to communicate. I think we we, we certainly lose our ability to articulate emotion um, with the level of authenticity and truth-telling that we deserve. Um, I think because those kinds of spaces that demand um, you think or behave or, or operate a certain way, those those kind of spaces are um, are always threatened by those kinds of things. Always threatened by kind of um, the 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 black sheep, so to speak. To to use like psychology terms, family systems terms, that it's it's always going to be threatened by that person who's who's able to articulate and name um, what's really happening in that group. Um, but when, yeah, when you belong to those spaces and I've been in them, you just slowly, your ability to like name and feel atrophy because frankly, your belonging depends on your ability to numb, to numb yourself to the emotions you're feeling, to the sensations in your body. I would leave small groups in college. I, I, I still remember this. I would leave small groups thinking I had you know, a wonderful time that we all bonded. And I would immediately feel so much pain in different parts of my body. 
I'm like, and I and I would think, man, this still happens to me sometimes. They all think I didn't realize I was sitting that way for so long, or like, why didn't I just move my arm? You know, these like very small things I could have done to, you know, honor the experience that I was feeling. But I had numbed myself in those settings that I was only able to experience them when I left. So it's really complicated. I lose. I think you lose connection with your body. I think you lose connection with your emotions. I think you lose connection with your memories when you're in this kind of um, singular or like, or like monolith form of thinking. I think it it does something to your memories. I'm only just starting to travel into some stories of my life of the past, you know, f- ten years with um, a different kind of understanding or a clearer read on what happened. Um, but I never want to. I, I never want to be dismissive of the cost of leaving those spaces as well like it's costly to stay for sure but it's so costly to leave as well when you form bonds when you find love some kind of love in those spaces to then need to leave in order to feel um more true in in order to really experience your truest selfhood or um step into that it's so painful and so it's really difficult i still haven't found the best way to speak about it with the nuance i think it it requires because um yeah it's just so costly to walk away isn't it yeah incredibly incredibly i was thinking of the word you just used atrophy and i'm like whoa like that was that's so descriptive and so true and it's it's an awareness that i don't think that I I know I didn't have as it was happening like you said like looking back or you leave that space and you're like whoa why do I feel this way <laughs> you know mm-hmm. I, I for me it, it would show up in like rethinking everything I was saying I'm like wait a second yeah. like I know what I said but then mm-hmm. like rethinking like wait but I just I hope that they like did they hear it the way that I the, you know they receive it the way I want it to be said and you know just like having like the overthinking take over in a really unhealthy way and then I realized wait that I I must not really feel safe here. I really must not feel mm-hmm. like like they really do see me and accept me as me if I'm giving this much thought to, oh, if this little like thing I said out of context or this thing that I said in this way, you know, if I'm thinking that it could be misinterpreted or or used against me or put me in some kind of unfavorable light, then then that's telling. But also mm-hmm. in that same breath, it's still like, weighing the cost, right? You know, how long can I keep doing this though? Because at least it's, it's what I know. At least there's community Mm -hmm. and there are, there are real bonds that are formed. Like the bonds aren't fake, but you realize that the roots really don't go down as deep as you think, Mm -hmm. you know, but it it takes, it takes a while to get, to get to the point where you're like, whoa, this is really happening and I cannot be here any longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really, you know, Oh, go ahead, Lindsay. I was just going to say, I think it's another way of saying that you lose yourself. Mm-hmm. Like in those environments, in those situations, when you lose your voice, you lose your ability to like fully embody yourself. You're you're losing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your whole person can't be present in those spaces in a way that feels safe. And you really, you start to lose who you are. Right. Yeah. And, and Cole, you talk about this a bit in your book on your, you know, your various platforms and you again mentioned it here. Often this, this happens in 
faith-based Christian spaces. So how, how do you think that those who follow Jesus get this wrong when it comes to mm-hmm. what it really means to belong? Yeah. Um, I, I might upset a lot of people with my answer to this, but I, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical um, of faith spaces that require me to believe a certain doctrine in order to experience belonging um, that require me to, or to, to, to speak a certain creed in order to experience belonging. I think to, to frame it in a, in a positive manner, the times that I felt truly um, safe, truly welcomed and truly near to God, or when I knew that I could, um, question, doubt, reevaluate, change my mind, you know, uh, and I, and, and my belonging would not be at risk. And I think so many people, the, the reason why they're unafraid to, to say what they actually believe about God, to, to name the questions they actually have, the tensions they actually have in them is because they're terrified of being rejected, alienated, cast out. If you say that you believe one thing, it immediately implicates you for a dozen other things, <laughs> a dozen other a dozen other beliefs. Um, and it, 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 I think it's it's just really painful and really, I don't know, reducing, I guess. So I think, you know, for those of us who, you know, follow the the story, the person of Jesus, of of a Christian God, we have to really reevaluate how we decide who's in, who's out, who's worth listening to, who's worth befriending, and not so that we can, you know, convert them, not so that we can retrain them out of that difference in belief, but just because we believe in like true Christian mutuality, true true human mutuality, that I need you, that I'm incomplete without you, um, and when we when we start to do that, I think we'd see a lot more people who would want to, you know, spend time with us, who would want to sit around a dinner table with us, who'd want to be sitting in a pew next to us on a Sunday. Ah, oh, that's so that's so beautiful, Cole, and it makes me think about this thriving community that you have created, kind of merging your own Christian spirituality who you are, your creativity into something that you call black liturgies. And I'd love to just hear like a snippet of an or the origin story behind that, because it has resonated with a lot of people. And I also want to ask you, did you see that? Could you have seen it growing the way that it has and really hitting the way that it has? Hmm. Um, I can honestly say I had no imagination for Black liturgies being what it is today. I had, I barely had an imagination for a dozen people. I've said this before. I barely, I, I was just thinking if I could get a dozen of us, you know, that that would be just interesting. Um, I wasn't even really active on social media before Black liturgies, so. It's still a mystery to me why I even chose Instagram as like a form for the um, project. I think, you know, maybe God was doing something there. Like why did Cole, my friends still laugh. They're like, why did you choose social media? You don't even know how to 
do anything. I still have friends who are like, do you know you can post links? And I'm like, no, I didn't. Um, great. That's amazing. Uh, you know, there's like entire Instagram accounts about growing your Instagram and do- making reels, all these things. And you're just like, oh, I just kind of threw a couple of things together. Yeah. I mean, 100% winging it. I need to probably take time to learn more. But I started it out of I really started out of anger. So it was in the wake of the murders of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. And we had the resurfacing of the murders of Breonna Taylor and Elijah McClain. And I was attending Episcopal church services. I had been. I find so much beauty in Anglican liturgy. Um, and still, there are seasons where it's just uniquely difficult to pray words written by dead white men who probably didn't care about me or my blackness. And so um, I really was just desperate for a space where, you know, my black grief, my black anger, you know, my um, black liberation would be taken seriously, you know, and and where I could experience that without having to dilute anything. And I actually started it anonymously. Um, Kayla, you would probably remember this because you were following me in in the early days in that first month. And I'd started it anonymously because I really didn't trust myself to be as honest as I needed to be if my face and if my person was attached Mm. to the account. And I, I just didn't trust myself to have the courage to say what I needed to say. And so, um, I had friends following me who, and they'd send me Black Liturgy's posts, and I just wouldn't say a word. I'm like, sooner or later, you're going to have to tell them. They're sending you your own words. Um, and then finally, I decided to, like, you know, step into the step into the light a little bit. I'm still <laughs> learning how to do that. Um, and it's been so, I mean, just completely transformational in, in my life, you know, um, to – I would have never thought I would experience a kind of community over social media. I I would have I would have never believed that I could do that. Um and I have. And so, you know, sometimes my skepticism proves me wrong. <laughs> we're glad that it did. I remember those early days as well and yeah. I remember when you like revealed yourself and then now I'm thinking you have a a whole book with your name on it. Like, it's definitely yeah. you, Cole. <laughs> like, it's like, it's definitely you. you. It's all you. There's no hiding. <laughs> but I, I just, I can't really pinpoint it, but I, it felt like gravity. It felt like mm-hmm. the spirit moving. It felt like, whoa, these words are everything my soul needs right now. And mm-hmm. I am so thankful that you showed up and if I was one of 12 that's that was fine with me you know <laughs> like right. that's great that everyone else wanted to join me but like I you know I'll be one of, <laughs> I'll be one of the 12 but I I just think that's so phenomenal um because you you name such a truth like can we really like put it all out there and reveal ourselves mm-hmm. too you know, mm-hmm. like that. Oh, that's just so real. I don't really have like yeah. a follow up. I'm just thinking about how real that is. 
Well, you, you went, know? yeah, you know what? We're talking about belonging and like, what was I afraid of? I was afraid of being rejected by the mm. community that I was trying to yeah. form. I was yeah, afraid, yeah. what would it mean for them to know it's me, you know? Mm. And, and, and will I still belong to them? Will I still be welcomed, you know? Um, mm. And I think a lot of us who share publicly in, in, in this kind of way are on some level experiencing that, that thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that sure. question that you asked, can I say what I need to say, just really resonates with, I mean, I think a lot of people who, particularly in this conversation of belonging, are trying to figure out, is this a safe space for me? You know, mm -hmm. is this a place where I can really say what I need to say, where I can be who I need to be? I mean, that for me is like the ultimate, do I belong here sort of question. Yeah. Mm hmm Mm, absolutely. So I've been holding on to this question because I wanted to read, if you don't mind, a little portion from your book. Oh, uh, I'd love that. About you describing your grandma. And, mm. and the first thing you said was belonging feels like a homecoming and thinking back to your roots and your family. And, and so I, I, I just want to read this and your grandma, your sweet grandma, who you had shared passed away uh, last fall, if that's correct. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry about that. Um, but mm -hmm. she helped to shape so much of your book. And yes. so this is just a small portion, uh, an excerpt out of uh, the chapter titled Dignity. Uh, I think it's around page eight. These words on your grandma read, you know when the rain is pounding against your house and you curl up to listen to it make music and the wind is drumming against the windows and the only thing that seems to be keeping them from shattering or collapsing in on you is the walls that they are sandwiched in between. My grandma is the storm and the walls. When God made her, he covered her in rich brown velvet, skin so soft you find yourself stroking it more for your comfort than for hers. And when she stretches those soft limbs over you, she splays herself open and lets it all fall on you like a weighted blanket. Hers is a heaviness that soothes. And there's nothing like her voice. It doesn't come from her throat like the rest of ours. It comes from her eyes. The words creep up behind her retinas. Every syllable coils around her pupils. And it's only ever poetry. Like I read this with like tears in my eyes. It was just mm. so beautiful. And I, I want to ask you, why was it so important to have your grandma's words and stories shape much of your book? And, and if you can just go more into this homecoming, this feeling of connecting with, with your family of origin and, and how it influenced these words mm -hmm. that you share. Yeah. Thanks for reading that. That was really special for me to hear. I haven't experienced that yet. So um, yeah, thank you. And so when I realized I was going to be able to write a book, I, I, I just thought I was going to write this book of, you know, serious Christian contemplation and on these different topics and that would be it. And, you know, I kept going, like I kept going outside to, to journal, picking up my pen. And like, it, it, it really felt like I, the only thing I was capable of writing about, I like, I couldn't start without starting with her. It, and I don't get writer's block. Um, and so I'm like, this is strange. Like, I just couldn't start anything. Like, I'm like, I can't talk about dignity without talking about my dad, you know, 
lathering cocoa butter on us every night. Like I can't talk about lament without talking about, you know, my grandma on the linoleum floor. Um, and apart from me trusting that, you know, my household spirituality, we weren't Christian. I wasn't raised in an overtly Christian home, but um, if it possessed a spirituality, it was a, a lot around storytelling, a lot around myth, um, humor. Uh, although my book's not very funny, <laughs> sadly, I'm working on that. Um, and I, I was like, I want to find a way to incorporate like that, that as well um, into the book. And I had been interviewing people in my family for a few years at that point, and I had started with my my father and my grandma just trying to collect and preserve, you know, what memories, what stories they had, things that, the things that you kind of brush over when you're speaking to younger generations. I wanted to preserve them. And um, so I was, I was in a state of being, feeling very, you know, bonded to them and their stories and seeing a lot of overlap um, in our stories that I wanted to explore. And Oh, this is a long answer, <laughs> but you said you welcome those. Um, but I started the book thinking about, you know, like, how do I want to, I'm talking about a liberating spirituality. What does that really mean to me? And I thought back to the the scene in, in Beloved by Toni Morrison, and it's actually um, where the title of the book comes from. And you know, the, the matriarch of of these people is she's in the clear clearing baby sugs and she's leading them before she delivers her sermon she's leading them in this you know very strange and complicated um practice of the body practice of emotional attunement you know she says she says let the children come let your mom see you dance and the children dance and she says you know um men come let your wives see you see you laugh and the men laugh, and then she she calls the woman to the center, and she says, "Women cry for the living and the dead. Just cry." And um, it's just a beautiful moment where you know these different generations get all kind of tangled up in each other. And she describes it where eventually the men are crying, and the children are laughing, and the women are dancing until they collapse in the clearing, and they hear Baby Sug's sermon about dignity, about. Um, honoring our, our full selves, by the way. And I thought, you know, if I am going to remain a Christian, if I'm going to stay in this in this faith tradition, like this is the kind of spirituality I want to be, belong to. This is what I want. I want it to be embodied. I want it to be emotional. I want it to be intergenerational. And I hope my book does some of those things. Yeah. It's so beautiful to hear you talk and you're like, I'm 31 and I talk to people that are much older than you in years and like not nearly like half as thoughtful and and like wise. I mean, I don't know many people who like interview their family for years documenting the stories and like peeling back the layers and doing that inner work. It's not super common, at least um, in the circles that I run in. So I just like your thoughtfulness, I think, invites everybody else to do that deep inner work as well. And mm -hmm. and the way that you put your words together where you're not just telling a story, but you're creating a space and an invitation 
to be fully yourself and other people can be fully themselves and you're seeing not just what you can see in front of you but like this I don't know like mystical cosmic presence of a living God and it's it's just so evident um, in your writing and also just listen getting to listen to you talk because you know, a lot of us have just read your work. So to get to hear you kind of peel back some of those behind the scenes layers is really beautiful. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, it's you create belonging like you you do. You create belonging and that that's beautiful. And that's something that uh, it's very hard to steward and something it's very hard to do. I think, you know, big big churchy buzzword is like authentic community. But mm-hmm. I think people try too hard to be authentic. And some people just are. And, mm-hmm. and I see that as you for sure. Um, thank you. Of course. Thank you. Like, I'm just like, this conversation is going on forever, by the way, people just buckle up. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not letting Cole go tonight. <laughs> but, you know, as, as we, we talk about Oh gosh, just that that beautiful connection with your family like 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 what is dignity without this moment or this person? What is lament without this memory? What what do our ancestors teach us about belonging? Like I mm-hmm. I, I think that I and particularly as a black woman, I'm 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 kind of in my head thinking through the idea this thought of like what our ancestors did to say like we refuse to belong in this space like we are going to fight against what you're trying to force me to belong to but then you know being able to belong to ourselves in the midst of of that like i don't know just what what do you think we have to learn from our ancestors and what what we've seen them walk through and experience in their own search of belonging mhm do you all um do you all know that the Alice Walker quote that I'll I'll try my best to paraphrase, but she said, um, how simple a thing it seems that to to know ourselves as we are, we must know our mother's names. I you know, only she can get away with saying something like that. So obscure. <laughs> it's like, what are you saying to me, Alice Walker? But there's so something so mysterious and it's mysterious and beautiful in that and um, that sentiment that, you know, you, you, to, to know where you come from, to believe that the things that made my, um, my grandmother, that, that they survive in me in some way, that, that nothing ever disappears, nothing that exists ceases to exist, you know, and so some part of her will always be preserved in me in a very, you know, um, literal biological way and I think like most things work also in a very mysterious and sacred way um and so I think we have everything to learn from our ancestors even those of us who um have had the opportunity to know our ancestors and understand where they're from even those of us who have had that taken from us I think we can experience a kind of belonging um a kind of yeah, homecoming and and just trying and even even in practice, even even in practicing imagination for like I wonder, like I don't know, you know, anything about my great 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 grandmother, but um, I use her, I, I I name her. She's she's in she's on the pages of my book, and it, it's um, because I've allowed myself to have an imagination for 
my ancestors and um yeah i don't know how how true my my imagination is but it's it's at least trying and there's something beautiful in that hmm. i love that imagination that is such a a key word that i think we lose a lot in a lot of the conversations we have and how how important um, that truly can be. And as you were talking, I was thinking about like, this is the great cloud of witnesses that mm-hmm. we read about in scripture, right? Everything that you're saying, I'm just like, you are surrounded. I am surrounded by so many people and women, especially I think as women, there's a, there's an extra layer of that, you know, mm-hmm. even biologically, um, it's really beautiful and mysterious and weird mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it, worth exploring. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we lose that uh, imagination and that wonder and then we start to get disconnected from our own bodies, our histories and where we are in the present and where we're going in the future. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, Patty's got a lot of questions. So. <laughs> Stop interjecting. It's just I love I love hearing you um, kind of contemplate in real time with mm-hmm. us because I think it just continues to invite us to do our own kind of contemplation. Oh no, interject away. I'm just I'm taking it all in. I I want to actually this idea of imagination brings me to this thought or this question of. Do you believe that there is a place for everyone to belong? Like, I, I, I believe we all want to belong somewhere, but do you think this place exists for everyone? And oh, or what wow. would that look like, you know, if it doesn't already? That's such an interesting, that's such an interesting question, you know. Weirdly, I've never thought about that. I mean, I guess if we're taking it to, like, the hyper ideal, you know, like, if we think about... um the three of you are all Christian, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't want to assume. Um, uh, if we think about, you know, the 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 Christian story, the end, the the ending, redemptive story. I think it's, it would be a really interesting exercise to imagine that being a form of kind of cosmic belonging. And if you think about belonging as a kind of shalom, you know, the the shalom that we see in in, in scripture, where you know, everything depends on another thing. You know, it's this, this, these interdependent um, links of existent, existence and creation among humanity, you know, <laughs> among all of these things. I think if you think about redemption looking like some kind of cosmic belonging, that's a very, I don't know, it's a very compelling, very beautiful thought. As far as on, on this side of redemption, <laughs> of the, the ending redemption, if you hold that belief, um, I'm just not sure. I told you I'm a skeptic, but like a better word would probably be a pessimist. Um, and so part of me is like, it's very difficult for me to imagine, you know, us creating spaces where everyone belongs. I mean, okay, here's an interesting thought. I'm going ba- to backtrack. I, I might, I think I've changed my mind. If we're able to locate, you know, the true least of these. I'm talking, you know, Black women, Indigenous women, um, uh, people who have been economically excluded um, 
and oppressed, if we if we truly locate those voices, I wonder if they would be the people who would shape places of true belonging and give us a glimpse of that. Because if you appeal to that, I mean, there's there's a lot of you know a lot of academics that say this, but I think I think a lot of people have said, have said this in more ways than one. If you really, I. I think if you really think about those people, they're going to be the ones so attuned to what's at risk, so attuned to what they've had to suppress in themselves, um, that they're going to give us the best shot. You know, the dis- I'll add the disabled community to that list. They're mm-hmm. going to give us the best shot at exp- if it's to exist. It's going to be those people that that do it. Absolutely, I have goosebumps. <laughs> Beautiful. I, I was waiting for Lindsay to jump in. I was like, oh, <laughs> like he's like speaking, speaking her language. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Oh, gosh. That's just so good, Cole. It's so good. And locate the least of these. Like really, truly locate the least of these. Wow. Because, you know, the four of us, we do in different ways acknowledge that there is still a level of privilege that we possess. And even mm-hmm. where there are intersections of of how we are also part of, you know, of the least of these as well. Yes. Um, gosh, that's just so, so, but so good. Just so much goodness right there. <laughs> when, when it comes to um, your book and this, this will be my last question because all good things must come to an end. <laughs> uh, when it comes to your book and, and it's out there, it's out there now, people are reading it. Like what what do you really want people to walk away with? Like, what do you want to be the lasting impression? What do, what do you want people to feel or sense or know after they, mm-hmm. they finish that last page of, of your book? What do you want to stay with them? I think, you know, I almost more than any kind of lesson or, yeah, like teaching point, I think... I would just I, I would just be so happy if people are putting down this book and feeling like a little closer to their selves, a little closer to the divine. Um, I want them to put it down having, uh, you know, experienced three people's stories and believing us and finding beauty in them and not necessarily answers, but but still beauty and um, a complicated nature. I think, uh, yeah, when I want to, I'll have to think about that more um, after our conversation ends. But I think, you know, what comes to my gut is like, man, I just want them to see our faces, believe us, and for that to somehow let them see the face of God and their own faces just a little clearer, you know? Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So beautiful. Yes. And I think people will. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I think we will. I really do. I agree. And oh, I just, this is amazing, Cole. Thank you so much for being with us today. Like we, before we, you know, press record, we're like, this is so great. Like we all really like each other. We get to talk and see each other's faces. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, and this is, this has been a really wonderful conversation that I, I'm so excited for our listeners to hear and for me to be able to hear and put on repeat over and over again. Uh, again, for all of our listeners, This Here Flesh was just released. We are, of course, are going to put all the links in our show notes and you can order it and find Cole at uh, colearthurreilly.com 
And we will again link her Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Look for at Black Liturgist or at Black Liturgies or Cole Arthur Riley and all the places. So thank you so much, Cole, for being here and for giving of your time and yourself and inviting us to belong. Thank, mm. thank you. Thanks for inviting me into this space. Truly. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, you. Cole. And for all of our listeners, um, if you want to find more about what we do, the conversations we have at Upside Down Podcast, you can head to our website, UpsideDownPodcast.com. And mostly we're just on Instagram at Upside Down Podcast. And as always, we appreciate you when you share our podcast, when something resonates, you tell a friend, you send it to them. Um, you know, just like Cole's friends was sending her the black liturgies. <laughs> you can send this along to your friends. Um, and we're so grateful for you and we will see you next time.